This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS Radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there, too. Welcome to It's Canine Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today, I want to go back and revisit a topic that when I first started this podcast a few years ago, I did a two-part podcast with uh, my friend Cameron Ford talking about marker training for detection dogs. And since I get a lot of questions about it, and in the time since I did that podcast, I've trained quite a few more dogs using markers. Um, Really uh, haven't changed a ton, kind of refined a few things. But I thought it might be a good time to go through and, and revisit this topic. And in this uh, podcast, if you're interested in uh, learning about markers or if you want to actually just start implementing it, hopefully by the end of this podcast, I'll show you how simple it is to use a marker. And when we're talking about a marker, it could either be a verbal cue, like I like to use the word free, and we'll explain why I like words better than uh, clickers, or it could be a clicker. Some people use a a unique sound they make with their mouth um, or a clicker, but a marker can be anything that is a noise that demonstrates to the dog that, that you're communicating to them that uh, they've done something and the, with that will be the bridge to their tree to their reward. So uh, marker training is nothing new. They, people have been doing it for years. When I first started uh, running detector dogs, you know, more than 25 years ago, I heard about people who used clickers I honestly, I had no interest in learning about it. It was just ignorance on my part. I should have paid some attention back then and it probably would have saved me some trouble over the years because I think using markers uh, really clarifies things to the dog and makes things so much easier for the training and the progression of it. So while it's nothing new, I do believe it's getting more popular and there's more people like me that were probably stubborn and uh, for no reason other than ignorance, I didn't want to learn it. Luckily, uh, a few people mentioned to me that they were using it and kind of got me more interested and I opened my my mind to it. And now that I've been using it for years, um, I would not train a detector dog without using a marker. It just makes things so much easier. So I teach this uh, marker class at HITS and I always say at the beginning of it that, you know, while it's a science-based idea to use markers, this isn't going to be a science class. I always say that. And so therefore, this podcast also, is, we're not going to go real deep into the woods about science. There's a whole lot of uh, people who are very, very passionate about science and behavior, and they'll go much deeper into the woods. And I think if you're a, a professional trainer, you should understand a lot of that science. But you don't have to overcomplicate some of this stuff. You know, in the end, I always joke that, uh, you know, what the, what the dogs want to do is smell the odor and get the ball or get the food. Uh, it's, they're pretty simple minded. So thinking that through that, you know, that they smell the odor and get the ball. A lot of that is, is how I end up, uh, shaping the dog, just keeping that very simple thought process in the dog's head. So, like I said, you know, if you're if you're more interested in the, in the science part, reach out to me. Send me an email. I can send you to lots and lots of places that talk deep into the science and go deep into the woods into that. And it's very very interesting. I just don't think you have to know all of that if you're just trying to to learn how to use a marker in training a detection dog. 
So really, if we're going to talk about, you know, what is a marker? And it's just a simple way of dog training that communicates with the dog what behavior is correct and desired by the handler. So you could communicate to the dog at that exact moment when the dog does something by using a clicker or a voice tone that if you're using the, what I will say, the traditional way of trying to throw the ball over the dog's head, that split second timing, you can't do that with throwing a ball at the, the dog because uh, you're, you know, the timing is never going to quite line up. But when you're using a marker, the second that that dog does a behavior that, that is desired by the handler, you can mark it with either a click or a voice. And this would be a good time to kind of talk about, you know, why do I use voice as opposed to clicker? And it's simply that I always have my voice. I'm always ready to say the word free and it's demonstrative. I'll say it in a, a kind of a, a higher uh, pitch tone. So it'll be free and make it real fun, very distinctive for the dog. They understand that when I say free, that they'll leave what they're doing and come back to me and get their reward. And we're going to talk about the idea of leaving odor. And some people have a heartburn over that. Uh, but we're marking that behavior. So when the dog gives me a behavior that I like, um, I can say free, the dog will come back to me. A clicker works the exact same way. And the only problem with a clicker in my mind is you have to have it. So if you forget it, or if your clicker breaks, or uh, you, know, you don't have it with you for some reason, then you don't have your marker where you always can say free. And the bigger problem is, is that um, dogs, as we know, are masters of body language. So they're always looking for something. So if I have to move my finger and if I've got my clicker on my duty belt or something and I've got to move to touch that, that, that movement is going to be the cue that the dogs are going to watch for. And they'll start paying more attention to that. Just as the, you know, we all know that the handlers who keep the toy in their uh, Velcro pocket on their uh, cargo pants, that the Velcro opening, that's obviously a marker for the dogs. They hear that and then a lot of dogs, if they're searching, once they hear that, they'll either look at the handler or some dogs will go to a, a final just because they're hearing that. They, they think the toy's coming. So the reason the, the voice is nice is there's no precursor to that. I can say the word free without moving, without uh, getting ready for it. And the second the dog uh, hears it, he knows jackpot, I get the toy. So they'll, there's nothing for the dog to be looking at me for. So to me, it just simplifies it. And you can use any word you want. I know a lot of people use yes. Um, what I was kind of learned at the beginning is yes is such a common word that um, I, I think that there is some, some validity to saying we say yes too much. So free is an easy word, but pick any short, powerful word that you want to use. It doesn't matter at all. Not the dog's name. Um, I thought one time maybe doing a bomb dog and doing boom you know, anything, but then I thought probably not a good idea when you're on a real scenario to, to start saying boom when you're around bomb techs and stuff. So free is an easy way to uh, just demonstrate to the dog that, that when you hear the word free, you get to come back to me. And we'll talk about how, how do we uh, get the dog to do that. So going back to, you know, what is the marker? You know, we talked about just now how it, it's, it, you can communicate with the dog at the exact time when the behavior is correct. And then it says there is science behind all of this. So you're communicating the dog with positive reinforcement. And I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of all the different types of, of training. So um, if you're interested in that, again, there's lots and lots of, of uh, podcasts and Internet stuff about all that. And it's very important. This just isn't going to be the podcast for that. But what I like about marker training is that, that you, the, a lot of the training 
the way that, that uh, we train our detector dogs now is it's allowing the dog to self-learn. So we're not physically manipulating the dog into a correct position or behavior. The dog has to start offering behaviors. And when he offers that behavior that we desire, we mark that. So once the dog starts uh, understanding that it's kind of a game, they'll start offering behaviors and then we can mark what we want and then we ignore the behaviors we don't want. So to start off with, you have to charge the mark. And which means just making the word free valuable. So all I do is I, I'll show the dog whatever his favorite toy is. And um, if the dog has obedience, you know, a lot of times I'll, I'll start with a very green dog. and He's got very little obedience. But I'll just push him back away from the toy until he uh, is, you know, gives up trying to fight me over the toy. And then I'll show it to him. And then I'll just say free and throw the toy to him. Usually it's a tennis ball. If it's a squeaky tennis ball, that makes it even better. And we're going to talk about, you know, why the squeak helps. But I might squeak it once or twice, say free, and throw it to him. Play with him for a second, get the ball back from him, get him to pay attention to the toy. I'll say free, and I'll throw it again to him, squeak the toy maybe. And I'll, just over repetition, that as the dog's trying to get to it, as he's pushing his way, I'll push him back. When he physically restrains himself and holds himself back and doesn't fight me over it, I'll say free, and I'll throw the toy to him. Pretty quickly, the dog's not going to fight you over the toy, and he'll stand back or he'll even sit um, and wait for you to say free and throw him the toy. Once they're doing that, and I'm talking about that, that's only going to take you a matter of reps, and within a minute or two, adopt most dogs will, will start playing that game of holding back and letting you throw the toy for him. Keep doing that and keep saying free and throw the ball, free, throw the ball. At some point, then you can just start changing that up. You can push the dog back a little ways. I, I don't want to tell the dog to sit or stay or anything. I want the dog to offer some behavior so he's trying to figure this out. Because if I say sit, I believe that could diminish some of what I'm doing with charging this mark. So the dog is restraining himself, and then I step back a little further, and then the next time I might take the ball and I might just drop it at my feet. When I say free, the dog will run over and pick it up and just keep doing different things. I'll even end up setting the ball down and the dog will restrain himself from going and uh, jumping on it. If he starts to jump on, I just pick it up, push him back, take a step back. He'll at some point, even a strong dog will, will quit trying to fight you over it. Once you've played the, the first part of this. Then you can just set the dog, set the, the ball down and kind of cover it with your hand a little bit. And then as you start to show it, tell him free and, and smack the ball towards him. And all you're doing is building reps and reps and reps that when the dog understands, when you say free, you're going to give me that toy. And the more you do it, then pretty soon you're going to say free. And then the toys, you're going to drop the toy at your feet and the dog will come back to your feet. The reason I like to use, uh, there's a, there's a lot of toys that have a rope or um, one toy that I really like are small Kong Wubbas because they have a tail to them. They're small enough to put in my pocket and they squeak. So once you start getting to the stage here, what I like to do is when I say, I'll have the dog two, three feet away from me. We've been doing this for a couple of days of saying free. The dog wants to come get the toy. You know, he thinks I'm gonna drop it at my feet. Then I just start holding it in my hand and the Kong Wubbas, you can hold the tail of them and leave that the Kong part exposed, the dog will run over and he'll just grab it out of my hand. And I'm not gonna fight him over, I'm just gonna give it to him, let him run around, he gets to have it. 
and start teaching him when I say free, I'll have be holding the toy right up to my side. And the reason I want to kind of hold the toy out to my side and do it the same way every time is that when we start talking about variable reward, that'll make sense. But I want to start presenting the toy to him. So now the dog understands I might be, the dog might be walking around the backyard, minding his own business. And after I've done this for enough reps, without any precursor, I'm just going to say free. And that dog should stop everything he's doing and run back full speed to me because he knows that toy that he really, really likes is, is right there in my hand. You could do this with food if you want. You can do it with whatever you want to do. But whatever the jackpot toy for that dog is, you want him to, to know that when he hears whatever word you do, or if you want to use a clicker, but he knows when he hears that, he's going to come back to you and get that reward right out of your hand. <clears throat> And I like to do that and over train the dog on that because the next step when we really start having the dog offer searching behavior to us, if the dog doesn't understand free is a big jackpot, then there's going to be some confusion. So don't move on from that step until you know, the dog, you've done it for quite a few days um, in short sessions over and over and over and the dog understands free means I can run back and again I like those small toys that you can hold onto the tail of the toy let the dog just pull it right out of my hand run around for a little bit have fun uh, retrieve, I'll retrieve the toy from him and let him go back to what he's doing and just keep playing that game and the way that again you can test it is get the dog out of your car or out of their his kennel let him walk around when they're just being a dog and they're relaxed uh, just give them the word so free and that dog should run back and I mean the world should stop and he should come straight back to you. If he kind of looks at you but he's not super excited, then you're not there yet. It should be that, wow. And again, the reason I like the squeak is that just adds a little animation to him. So a lot of times I'll say free and I'll start squeaking that toy at the same time. And that just makes it even more come to life and the dog desire it even more. So he's crazy about it and that squeak is is actually like an additional marker to the dog that squeak is a good thing when I hear squeak I like it because I'm going to be getting that toy so it's uh and I'll talk about why that wh how I use that squeak uh down the road but just keep doing that charging the mark and get that dog to where where he understands free means I get to take that toy and then you can play games with him and you can set the toy right at his feet and he wants to pick it up, but he won't. And then when you say free, he'll snatch it up from his own feet, walk around with it, whatever you want to do, and just teach him that he can't have that toy till you say free. And keep practicing again. It's important that the dog will come back and just take it right out of your hand. Because when we do variable reward and stuff, it's gonna, that's going to come into play. So once the dog has the mark charged, and he's really, really into it, then... All I want to do is let the dog self-learn the search and the odors. And what we're talking about here is that basically, you know, when I started training detector dogs, and still a lot of people do this, and it works just fine. So this isn't a my way is better than your way type of podcast. This is just another way to train a dog. So what I'm going to describe does work fine, but I think the way that with a marker, I think um, from my in my estimate, estimation, it uh, has helped a lot to clear some of the dog's heads. And I like the final product that I'm getting with a marker, having done both both ways. But a lot of people, and the way I always did it, is you know, you'll put odor, say, in a box. You'll walk the dog right up, 
have the dog sniff the box, tell the dog to sit, and then either hit a button and the toy will pop out of the box uh, once he's smelled the odor that's in the box, or, you know, physically throw a ball at the box, whatever. Just, but the idea is that the dog is going to walk up, smell the odor in the box, you're going to tell him to sit, and then you're gonna, he's going to get his reward in some manner. Again, nothing wrong with that. Works just fine. But I think if you took a dog and he was brand new and you were able to talk to him and he was able to draw you a graph and you asked him, you know, what's the most important part of, of this new game that we're playing for you? Um, I... But if you were able to have the dog draw a graph for you and ask him for what is the most important part of this new game that I'm showing you, in that scenario, the dog is probably going to draw the graph and he's going to say, well, sitting is super important and smelling this odor that you like is pretty important. And I don't know what hunt is because I haven't hunted at all. I've just walked up. You've almost pushed my nose into a box. And I've smelled some strange odor that whether they really smell it or not, we don't know. And then I sat and you, then you gave me the ball. So the dog would tell you sitting is the most important part of this uh, process. But when we talk about a detector dog and we talk about a final uh, trained detector dog, and if we we're going to draw a pie, pie chart, what would we want that detector dog? What's his most important thing that he does? And I would tell you, I believe it's hunting. A detector dog has to hunt and they have to hunt and hunt and hunt and hunt. So if you did a pie chart for a detector dog, I would suggest that probably 70% of that pie chart would be simply the dog's ability to hunt. And then 25% of that pie chart would be the dog knowing the odors you want him to hunt for. And 5% would be his final response or the sit. But when you ask that dog to draw his pie chart, when you're doing it the other way, He's going to say sitting is about 90% and that odor is, you know, five to six, 7% and hunting is about 3% because there's not much hunt at all at the beginning stages of that. Obviously later you teach the dog to hunt longer and, and do all those things. But at the very beginning stage of, of the, when the dog's learning this game, we are emphasizing to the dog that sitting is the most important thing. So then when you go down two and three weeks into training and the dog gets frustrated, what do a lot of detector dogs do when they're frustrated is they start false indicating and throwing sits around because you've told them on day one, sitting is super important. So if you sit, I might throw the ball. So when they're frustrated and they can't work out the problem in front of them, a lot of dogs will just start throwing a sit here and they're trying to get you to throw the, the ball for them. So we've flipped what we want to do backwards. Now the dog is offering a behavior trying to get you to do something for him where we want the dog to offer a behavior where he's going to get his known marker. So um, it, we the whole idea is that I like in markers is that now we can take that and we can have the dog understand hunting. From day one, hunting is what is important. So I've got the, the dog. I take him to a room. 
the mark is charged. I know that when I say free, the dog is going to jump out of his skin to come back to me because it's so, so exciting. I'm going to go to the room. I'm going to put whatever odor we're teaching the dog to find. I'll put it like in a, if, if ideally the room is basically empty, maybe have a, like a, I've used an office building where they had rolling filing cabinets. I put one filing cabinet in there with the odor, uh, one of the bomb odors. Dog had no idea what that odor meant, had no idea what he was doing. Walked him in the room. I told him to search, which meant nothing to the dog. The dog walks around the room, has no idea what he's doing. But because the odor, we put a lot of odor in the drawer, is kicking out some odor. Obviously, any dog's going to smell, you know, a unique odor in an empty room. So when that dog turns his head and starts going towards that odor, free. And I mark that odor long before he gets all the way to the filing cabinet. As soon as he head checks and shows me that he actually smelled that odor, the beauty of a marker is I can mark that exact behavior. If I need to throw my tennis ball in, I've got to wait a little bit longer. And then I don't know if he's now marking because he smelled the odor or because he went over and bumped the, the cabinet when he was trying to smell it. I'm not sure what he's going to take as the mark. But when I get that first head check on him, I'm going to tell him free. And then the dogs will understand, well, that odor got free. And then all I'm going to do is maybe just roll the, the filing cabinet five feet away. And the dog's going to end up going back in the room, walk around. The filing cabinet will be of some interest, but he doesn't know the odor is quite in there yet because we paid him just on the odor. As he hits the odor, then I'm going to uh, make him go a little bit closer to the filing cabinet, kind of start working his nose a little bit on that odor, but not very much. I'm not going to ask too much from him. Free. I'm going to mark that odor, and I'm going to do that several times. Pretty soon, the dog will start going towards the filing cabinet. If he just goes to the filing cabinet and he doesn't show me that he's sniffing it and I don't get any reaction to the odor, nothing happens. The dog's got to show me that, that, that the odor is doing something to him, and it's very easy to see the dog You know, when they're, they're sniffing harder, they're really checking it, or they'll give you a head check or some change of breathing, and the only odor in that room right now is a target odor that I want, then once he does that, free. And it only takes five or six of these for the dog to understand that odor is really important. Then I simply roll another filing cabinet into it. I might go to another room, take that filing cabinet with me, roll another identical filing cabinet in there. You can do this with boxes, you know, get the same type of boxes, go to the post office and get, you know, all the same boxes, tape them all up, whatever, so that they all look the same. I'll take... Now I have a blank box and a hot box and the dog will start walking around. And of course, now he's interested in the boxes because they've paid him. When he goes to the, the blank box, nothing happens. When he goes to the hot box and is sniffing it, actively using his nose. And what's the beauty of this is if you miss it once, you can just wait a second and he'll offer more behavior to you and sniff it a little bit harder. So once he's using his nose, free, the dog will come back to you. There's no reason for the dog to want to aggress the odor at this point because you're paying him on the sniff. When he sniffs it, there's nothing's gonna, nothing is going to pop out of this box. It's all coming back to you. So the aggression at the box doesn't usually happen because there's, there's nothing coming out of it. It's, it's I just need to sniff it, find that odor, and come back. And we just keep doing that same process over and over. And we keep paying the dog on a sniff. And... All we do is when he can do two or three boxes, then I do four or five boxes. Or I take him into a room with more environmental stuff in there 
and put the target odor, say, if I've got an office with, you know, a cubicle and a couple of drawers, then I'll take that same target odor and I'll have the dog start searching where there's a few more options for the dog. Not a full-fledged office where there's 50 hiding spots at this point, but two or three. And the dog's got to go through the environment that he's going to be working in and find that same target odor, the first additional, first odor that I've taught him with. And so, you know, we're going to stay with that one odor, maybe two odors for several days. And we're going to just do baby steps of the dog working small environments, teaching the dog every step of the way, uh, letting him find that odor. And when he sniffs it, free. Not worried at all about a final response. All I'm teaching that dog is go find that odor and I will say the word for you. So now if you stopped right there and you're four days into training and you're able to talk to the dog and have him draw a graph, that graph he's going to say is, well, I got to find that odor. So that's hunting. And the odor is important. So it's probably 50-50 at that point because he thinks finding the odor is important, but I got to find it. So uh, the dog, uh, the sit where in the initial graph of the other dog, sitting is almost everything. This dog is just learning that hunting is important and that when I find that odor that he likes, then I get to get my ball. So over and over uh, in time, we just extend the hunt and I start putting out distractions early on. So I'll put out anything I want as a distraction. If the dog shows any interest in that, nothing happens. I don't correct him. I don't say anything. Nothing happens. Dog's got to go find the right odor. And we do blank rooms early on. In the first couple days, we'll start having the dog go in a blank room, walk around a blank room. When he's ready, when he when he's thinks he's searched everything, or if he shows any indication that you know he wants to leave that room, I let him leave the room, go back into a room where there's target odor. When he hits the target odor, I reward that with saying the word free. And just simply keep doing that over and over and extending it. All I'm teaching that dog through repetition is hunt and find this odor and I'm going to pay you on the sniff. And to add in additional odors, all I'll do is take the same boxes or whatever I'm doing. I'll add in odor number two to odor number one. Keep playing that same game. At some point I'll take odor number one away. Odor number two is now important. I'll probably change and get a fresh box if I'm using boxes from the post office or somewhere. Get a fresh box, put in odor number two all by itself. He'll show a little bit of confusion at that point because he was expecting odor one and two together. But again, I'll go back and just when he starts showing any reaction to that odor, free. And he gets, then he realizes, okay, well, that's also an important odor. So that marker gives me the, the, the ability to mark just small, quick little changes in his behavior right away. I don't have to wait until he sits or does anything. I'm just teaching him that's a good odor. You should pay attention to it. I'll take odor number two. I'll start uh, increasing the search area. Keep working down the same way I did with odor number one. Odor number three, you can either add that to odor number two, or he should know the game well enough that if you want to add in odor number three by itself and just pay him on a sniff, you can do it either way. I like chaining odors, you know, one after another after another, and then removing the, the odor. So it makes it very clear. There's been a few times where um, I've had dogs where if they, for whatever reason, um, they're having trouble with one of the odors, I just go back and put in a, a, an odor they know, keep them together for a minute. It's a bit of a cocktail. 
pull the once they start getting that odor that, that they're having trouble with pull the other odor out that'll usually uh, solve that problem and they'll pick up the new odor but rarely do i have to do that because they're that at this point you know if we're into you know three four or five odors we're about probably two weeks into this the dog's hunting larger rooms because the odors the number of odors doesn't really matter at this point i just want hit the dog to understand hunt and hunt larger bigger rooms and when you sniff the odor i want then i'm going to say free and i'm going to vary that up that sometimes it's going to be a head check say if it's the first time i'm doing high hides when the dog starts working high i'll pay that and it's progressive approximation so that that the dog starts to work high free the next time the dog starts to work high he's got to work even harder and get higher maybe he's got to jump up on the desk and check the top cabinet and i'll keep asking for more and then i'll ask him to sniff the the box or the drawer whatever it is harder each time so it's always progressive approximation every time the dog does something uh, new i'll mark it and then the next time i want a little bit more from him and a little bit more and a little bit more and then i just keep increasing the search area and all i'm teaching the dog is hunting is the key everything good will happen when you hunt so now I'll, by like say week you know end of week two we'll be doing a fairly large room with a lot of different areas to hunt and search and i'll have his favorite odor out in that room and they'll be almost frantic trying to get to that odor because there there's no conflict i'm not smacking his ass telling him to sit i'm not holding a leash i'm not telling him where to search he's got to search it on his own and uh, when he finds the odor he sniffs it i pay him so he's got to do it all on his own i'll even start stepping into the hallway and so that the dog can't really even see me and ideally if if there's a window or something i'll let somebody else watch him dog can't see me when the dog sniffs that odor they'll give me a thumbs up i'll say free and now the dog feels like i had to go in there all by myself you're of no use to me i don't need to look at you i don't need to watch you i don't need to try and read cues from you because i have to go find this odor and then you'll say the word so i'm eliminating the problem of cueing from the very beginning now i'm not saying that a dog that is trained on markers won't have a problem cueing because of course they might but at least i'm not setting myself up at the beginning where i've got a leash in my hand and i'm very very close to the dog when i'm doing all the basic training with the dog i'm teaching the dog to be more independent on his own and that hunting is is what's important i'm not dragging him around on a leash and either tapping things or touching things or pointing at different at everything he should search he has to figure out that he's got to search everything so then i start working on patterns at this point too and i start doing things high and low and deep and shallow and all different areas and start teaching him that you know you got to search everywhere and i just keep increasing how hard the searches are and and i get through progressive approximation i can teach him yeah you're almost there and next time you got to work a little bit harder so that marker is such an easy way to reward the dog when they start figuring it out so You've seen a lot of dogs where you know we insist on the dog doing a final then the dog just stretches out he's up really really high gets his nose right on the odor then he backs up four feet and he sits and then the ball gets thrown in to that dog the odor is not the most important part of that equation it was the sit obviously the odor triggered the dog to want to sit but 
if you asked him, the scent was the most important part. I want a dog that when he smells that odor, he's almost glued to it and doesn't want to leave it because that's the odor is the most important part. So with progressive approximation, when the dog is getting closer, you can say free, and then you make him get a little closer and a little closer, and you just keep uh, paying the dog, which when I say paying on a sniff, it's just when the dog sniffs the odor, he gets the word free or gets the click. And you're just reinforcing to the dog over and over, hunt, find the odor, you get the toy. So it goes back to what I said at the very beginning of the of this is that, you know, a lot of times the dogs just want to smell odor and get the ball. So that's all they're doing is they're hunting and they're getting the ball or whatever, you know, if you're using food or whatever you want to use. But what I'm not doing is physically manipulating the dog and I'm not telling the dog to sit uh, or anything like that. Once the dog is hunting and he's got most of his odors in or all of his odors in, uh, several weeks into this, so and I want to I want to overlearn each one of these steps. So the dog's having a fun time doing this game. Um, the search areas are still controlled by the environment. So what I mean is that there there are smaller search areas that are are walled, so I don't have to physically maneuver manip, manipulate the dog at all. He's going to have one room to search and that's it. When he gets to that point, I like to put the dog on a flexi lead. I like flexi leads for detector dogs. And it's funny, I hear guys are passionate about you. You should never use a flexi lead. And when I ask them why not, it's because you never should. And they don't have a reason. I like putting a dog on a flexi lead at this point. And I'm just going to give him a lot of that lead, get him right back to hunting. I'm not going to say anything to him. Practice going through the rooms that we've been working in. So he pulls the leash out, he hunts, and he doesn't feel... Like I'm pulling him back because of the, the pressure of the leash. Then I'll control his environment in the next step by going into a larger area. And I'll let him be out on this flexi lead. And I can start really easily directing him without much leash pressure at all on what areas I want him to search. And I'm still standing back behind the dog. I'm still several feet behind the dog. And he's working the, the area that I want to work. So he's, he's doing everything that, that he was doing in the rooms, just the flexi lead is controlling his environment. I want to throw out is I did like a uh, scenario one time and I had a car and I had easy dope hides on the car. And then I spray painted on the dirt all the way around the car about a five foot buffer. And I told the handlers that they couldn't pass with their feet the buffer around the car just to get people out of the habit of having to, to to touch every seam or even direct the dog to every seam. And I just wanted them to be able to stand back, let the dog go and search the car without them being directed with their hand. And it was funny because it made some of their uh, handlers very nervous. And uh, once they ended up just standing back a little bit and letting the dog go up to the car, they realized that the dog could search the car without all their direction. And then some of them were there when I loaned them a flexi lead. And many of them said, oh, I don't use flexi leads. I said, try it. And then they could control the dog going back and forth in a smaller area. So they could just let him search a little bit freely when he gets back past the door. Then they could slow him down, bring him back, kind of control his environment from outside the line and get him to search everything and walk around the whole car. Um, I ran 30 or 40 different teams through that exercise that day. And I don't think there was too many that uh, did not have a new opinion of how handy a flexi lead can be for detector dogs. So it's just something to think about that, you know, you might consider. So moving on at this point, we've got the dog, you know, he's searching very well. He's searching, you know, high and low. He's searching longer areas, 
search and uh, you know still we're still going to limit his uh, ability to, to search large areas and the reason I want to do this is I don't want to send the dog into a gigantic warehouse and have him keep searching and searching where I can't mark exactly what I want to mark when I want to mark it so I'm going to just keep the, the searches fairly short and be able to keep uh, marking him sniffing odors that I want and I'll, I'll let him also pass distraction odors but I don't want him just to run around loose in a, in a warehouse at this point because we're still searching patterns teaching patterns and the way we're teaching patterns is simply with hide placement so instead of going and showing him where I want him to I'm just going to keep varying hides in different places and let him self-discover that all these places can be where where hides are at this point one of the things I like to do is I like to use either stickers or cotton balls and what I do with stickers is I just get evidence stickers and I'll keep them with the target odor for several days so they'll absorb some of that target odor what I like about that is then the only thing that the dog is going to be smelling is that odor so I can put them I can put them under a chair or somewhere where it's not in a drawer somewhere that that the dog really is going to have to understand that the odor is all you know not the the shape of the object that I'm sniffing the caveat on doing stickers of course is that there's glue on stickers so what I'll do is I'll go to our evidence uh, room and I'll get clean stickers I'll handle them with gloves I'll put them with my target odors let them cook then when I go to put them out I'll handle them with gloves again and I'll put the stickers in one direction that have odor on them and then I'll also will have stickers that have not been around any target odor that I've also handled with gloves and I'll put those stickers out every single time I put out stickers so I always have some scented stickers and some unscented stickers if you don't do that and you just want to use scented stickers you're going to get a sticker dog really really quickly because it would only make sense that the glue on the stickers is going to have a lot more odor than the actual uh, imprinted odor that you're putting on there. So just simply put out, you know, clean stickers every time and you won't end up with a, a sticker finding dog and it'll just be the odor. But again, what I like about the stickers is now I can go into some rooms and I can put stickers, you know, on, on a put white sticker on a white wall and then the dog will have to really search everywhere. And then when he when he reacts to that odor, I'm going to mark it. So it's just teaching, searching, searching, searching. And you'll know that, you know, I've been talking for quite a while and I haven't said anything about a final because at this point, again, if we're talking about, you know, going back to the original thing we talked about that if I wanted this dog to draw a graph and tell us what this game entails, I want this dog to say the most important part of this game is for me to go out and hunt and find these target odors. Nothing about sitting, nothing about looking at the handler, Nothing about trying to read your body language and uh, nothing about waiting to see where you point to tell me to, to sniff. You're not going to be smacking my butt telling me to sit down. The, the dog would be simply saying, yeah, I just go hunt. And that's why we do it for several weeks and just keep hunting and hunting and hunting, imprinting odors and teaching search patterns. At the, the, the wrap it up, once the dog's doing all those things very well, then I'll go back to one of the original rooms. I'll take... Like, uh, again, I had an office building and it worked well because I had file cabinets that I could lock. I took uh, tar a target odor that the dog was very, very familiar with, one that he really liked um, that, you know, would definitely trip his trigger. Put that odor in, I, I put it in one, and I'll, I'll use boxes, file cabinets, uh, you know, whatever I can do to secure the odor. So not just a cardboard box, but something that's solid. You know, if I got to use a drawer, in a in a area i'll do that you know if i can as long as i can make sure the door can be locked or latched or something 
But the point is, I don't want the dog to get to the odor. And then I'm going to put the dog in the room. He's going to go hit the odor, sniff it, probably slow down a little bit because at this point I've been asking him to sniff it even harder. So he might even sniff it harder. And then he's going to wait to hear the word free. And when he doesn't hear it, most likely he's going to come back to me. And all I'm going to do is what the answer, a lot of times in this system, a lot of times the answer to the fixed problems is to do nothing. So he's self-learned all of these searching techniques for the last few weeks. He knows that he has to offer behaviors. So when he sniffs it, and I don't say free, and he comes back to me, and nothing happens, he already has a mind that is now built into solving problems. So he probably uh, will immediately start trying to figure out, okay, what is this puzzle now? What do I need to do next? So chances are he'll go back to the odor. And when he goes back to the odor, I'm not. I'm still not saying anything. I'm not telling him to search. I'm not saying anything. I've controlled his environment. We're in a room together. He knows there's odor there. Now he's just trying to figure out how to make me say free. The odor, because we've paid him on a sniff so much, the odor is more important than coming to me. I've never given him in, in several weeks. I haven't given him any information. I haven't done anything that helped him. So now the dog knows odor is important. So they'll go back to odor and we wait. And at some point... A lot of dogs, they might scratch, nothing happens. If they lick, maybe uh, they'll do all kinds of things, but nothing's going to happen. And at some point, the dog will either sit, stand, or lay down in front of it. And the second they go into that uh, behavior, then I'm going to mark it. Because I don't care what the dog does. Standing, uh, depending on the dog, is not my favorite. So I might mark a stand and then ask for more. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to mark the first behavior he's showing me that I like. So as soon as he starts to sit, I'm going to say free. Comes back, plays with me a little, I'll play with him a little bit. And then I send him right back to it. Now we understand scratching didn't work, licking it didn't work, bashing my head into it didn't work. Oh yeah, when I sat, uh, that worked. So then when he sniffs the odor and he sits, then I'm going to say free again. At this first, very first time, if he runs back and he sits, only on this very first round of these would I mark a sit without a sniff because I'm trying to show him that, that sitting at this odor where he already knows the odor is, is important. Any other time, I wouldn't do that, but on this, just on this very first time. So we're gonna do a few rounds of this. Only on the first round does he not have to sniff it and then sit or lay down. And I'd say it's about two-thirds of the dogs I've trained sit and about a third lay down and I don't care which they do so uh, whatever and then I've had a few pointers that point obviously and, and that's fine too if they if they're good solid at, at standing and pointing but they're going to offer that behavior and what the important part to think about this is is that I'm not telling them what to do they're self-discovering it they're understanding that they've smelled the odor and now they've offered a behavior and now the big jackpot word of free just came out so I want to keep doing that but I haven't physically manipulated them. I haven't told them sitting is important. So if we run a few rounds of this and they start kind of getting the behavior, immediately I'm going right back to what I've been doing for several weeks and I'm gonna do a bunch of pain on a sniff, going right back to searching, but I'm gonna just let them linger at the odor a little bit longer each time. And I'm gonna kind of just work in this final over the next several days. It's just because he's done it once or twice doesn't mean now he always has to do it. It's for the rest of his career, the final is always going to be maybe 2 and 10 or 3 and 10, depending on the dog. 
but he's not going to have to do final very often because the more you emphasize final, the more they're going to try and do sits and stuff like that to, to elicit the reward that they want. So I'm going to always emphasize to my dog through his working career, hunting is the important part. If you do it correctly and you only do, say, three or four final responses in 10 searches, the times that you make him wait, he will offer you a quick and clean final response. I guarantee it because he knows that, you know, as he's sniffing it, he's expecting you to say free, but if he leaves it, nothing happens. So then he'll stay there for a second longer and then he'll go into his final and he understands that that, that might be part of it. So it's just an easy way to teach to let the dog self learn a final without us physically manipulating them. What I have seen is that when you get to the point of where a lot of dogs where we have physically manipulated them and told them to sit, when they get frustrated, those dogs a lot of times will just start sitting different places. You know, am I right? Am I wrong? Am I right? Am I wrong? And they'll sit, look at you, and then you'll tell them no. They'll move, they'll sit, they'll look at you, you tell them no. And it's just a game to them. And then at some point they're close to the odor, and then you throw the ball towards them. In this system, if you do it correctly and you have the patience to do a lot of hunting and keep paying the dog on a sniff, that dog, at, at uh, when he's frustrated, will just start hunting harder because that's the only thing he knows how to do to really elicit what he wants is go find that odor and go work even harder. The final things I want to touch about about markers is it gives you the ability to implement a couple of really valuable rewards that will help your dog. The first that I think really helps a lot is a variable reward system. So you remember at the beginning of this, I talked about how when you're charging the mark, you'll be saying free and the dog will be coming back and going to take the toy right out of your hand. Early on, maybe within a week or two, once the dog understands free, I come back and I take the, the toy right out of your hand. I will do all the same thing. I'll have the toy out my hand. I'll say free. The dog starts running back to me. And at the very last second, I'm going to pull the toy away from him. The first time you do that, they might stop and try to take the toy, but I'll ignore them, do nothing. Then the dog will know I got to go back to the odor. And then what you're going to see is opposed to the dog being frustrated because of the not being paid, he's going to start searching harder. And doing a variable reward will actually build, you can build a searching monster by withholding that reward and they're going to want it more and more and they're going to work harder. So it's the same as if you went to Vegas and you put a quarter in a machine and you got a quarter out every time you get bored pretty quick. So the fact that you never know what's going to come out as you put the quarters in is what keeps people's interest in it. So it's the same thing that dog should every single time when you're holding that toy, not know if he's going to pull it out of your hand or if you're going to yank it away from him and then he'll run right around you and go back to work. After they learn the variable reward, they will not fight you for the toy. As soon as you're pulling it away, they'll go back and they'll start searching even harder. And it has to be truly variable. So I, people will ask me, you know, do you do one in five or two in three or whatever? And it has to be variable. So sometimes I'll pull it away three times in a row and then I'll pay him four times in a row. And then other times it's one for one, but I'm just always watching the dog. Our human mind thinks, well, if you don't get a paycheck, then I'm not gonna work. That's not the case for the dog. When they don't get that paycheck, they actually will go back and they'll work harder as long as you're doing a variable reward. So they always got to believe that they're going to get it. The mistake that I see a lot of people make is that when they go to the variable reward, when they're going to pay the dog, they hold the toy out. When they know they're going to variable reward, they'll just say free and they don't have the toy out. The dogs really quickly will look back, see that you don't have the toy out, and then the variable reward part of it is gone. 
and they know you're not going to pay them on that time. So you got to have your got your body language or anything needs to be the same, whether you're going to actually deliver the toy or not. But trying the variable reward, I, I really encourage it. It works beautiful. It, it really starts getting dogs. If they look a little bit tired, it's because they're getting bored. So there's been dogs where we know we've all seen these dogs that are dynamite dogs. And the first search, they look great. The second search, they look pretty good. The third search, they're not quite as good. And by the fifth search, you know, if you're doing several in a row, they're getting a little bit lazier. And we always would say, you know, the dog's getting tired. Well, no, they're not getting tired. They're getting bored because every time I smell the odor, you throw the ball in, I run around, you take the ball away from me, and I go do the same thing. The variable reward, if you do the same thing, the dog might get paid on the first one, not get paid on two and three. By four, he's losing his mind because he wants to get paid so bad. He's searching better than he did on the second one. So variable reward is a super powerful tool, and I highly recommend you know, understanding it and, and using it to your advantage because it works really, really well. And then finally, I mentioned how I like to use squeakers a lot. You know, so when they're when I'm charging the mark, it's squeak, squeak, squeak. And the dog's coming back to me, it's squeak, squeak, squeak. I'm squeaking it. And then the last second, if I'm going to give it to him, he has it. Or if I'm going to pull it away, I stop squeaking and pull it away from him. But that squeak is also a marker for the dog. So then when I'm doing a long search, and I do places like, you know, uh, large venues and convention centers, if the dog started getting a little bit distracted, all I have to do is reach down. I got that toy in my pocket, squeak it once or twice. They won't even look back at you. It just reminds them, oh, yeah, I want that squeaker toy. So they'll start working harder. And it's just an easy way to, to, to uh, keep them uh, motivated while they're searching. And I did a whole podcast about motivated detector dogs. So if you are interested in some of those kind of things, just scroll back a little bit. And you'll hear some of the things I did, I talked about in that podcast. But, but I wanted to do just this... Uh, you know, kind of marker refresh. I'll be teaching this class this year at HITS. We're gonna be in Scottsdale. So it's a two hour class. I've got some videos and then plenty of time uh, before and after and during beers in the evening to, to uh, talk about marker training or any other kind of training you want. So if you're interested in, in seeing more about this, you know, come check us out. HITSK9.net is all the information for our seminar. We'll be in uh, Scottsdale in August. It's going to be a great event. It might be a little hot there, but the uh, air conditioning, it'll be going full blast in the hotel. Got pools there, and there'll be uh, lots of handlers there, people from all over the world. It's the biggest canine event by a long shot, and uh, I think you'd really enjoy it. So come check it out. We've got a lot of networking opportunities. You can uh, come to this class, plus uh, we have five classes going on at a time for uh, three straight days. So lots of great stuff going on at HITS. So HITSK9.net. And as always, if you want to reach out to me, just uh, shoot me an email, jeff at HITSK9.net. Thanks, everybody.